0: Thank you. up everybody and welcome to another edition of creepy classics i am greg and with me today can't hear you lawrence i'm lawrence so uh, am i good or what yeah you're good now man couldn't hear you at first right. It looked like you talked and couldn't hear you but uh so talking are you- at the same time yeah <laughs> so uh nice shirt man i'm digging the metallica shirt oh uh, yeah i
1: got this metallica shirt now this is not from sovereign i bought this just um on, like online from some random spot but yeah a little vintage classic tea going on
0: all right so today you picked out the videos for us to watch and we're going to be focusing a lot on uh the military and their uh the secrets that they hide
1: yeah military industrial complex
0: the military industrial complex should i cue in the famous uh joe rogan speech now
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can if you want but i think we'd get a copyright strike or something so
0: most definitely. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we got we're borrowed from uh, Dark 5 this time. We haven't played anything from Dark 5 on here yet, so we're going to
1: They're gonna by far into- my favorites. I'm kind of yeah, I, I,
0: I love Dark 5. It's just they're so short, man, so you got to put together so many videos. But uh without further ado, let's uh let's get into some creepy classics. All right, that'll work. I'll get us going here. You know, I always cue this up ready to go and then I forget that I I share the file so I don't have to worry about it, but here we go.
2: Sonora, California. For years, Sonora, California has experienced daily huge boom sounds like clockwork between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Located in Tuolumne County, Sonora is a mostly peaceful city with fewer than 10,000 inhabitants. Founded by Mexican miners in the 1820s after Mexico's War of Independence, the city has a traditional mining foundation. After the Mexican-American War, the town was quickly forgotten, but the gold rush gave it life for a second time. Today, that calm is now gone by the terrifying booms and cacophony that have lately put the small population in a state of alarm. Residents describe the sounds like deep, low booms that can be felt and are strong enough to warp windows. I've heard about this before. They're always heard at the same time Between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., a geologist from the city has tried to calm the population by telling them not to worry about it. The sounds possibly come from an army depot 200 miles away in Hawthorne, Nevada, where old munitions are destroyed. However, a depot officer says it's impossible the explosions, quote, would be heard 200 miles away when there's a mountain range between us.
1: Okay. Interesting.
2: The officer told ABC News that at the Hawthorne Army Depot, they effectively detonate munitions regularly. but firmly said that the sounds the people in Sonora hear are not theirs. Others suggest that if this was true, how is it possible that they hear the booms every single day at the same hours without interruption? The amount of old bombs the army has at its disposal has alarmed the civilians even more. It is believed that a deep underground military base is being built in the town's former gold mines as part of a more extensive network. Comprised of underground tunnels, it's being constructed to hide secret aircraft and secure facilities for government continuity programs. Based on information from the National Security Council, this map allegedly shows the US military's underground tunnel system in progress. The military has not said anything about these rumors. It's a big ass tunnel. Just like Area 51, people will need to wait and find out if it is true. North Korean Subterranean Bases. Military experts consider North Korea the most heavily fortified country in the world due to its extensive network of military bases buried in mountains and deep underground.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Hidden from spies and even reconnaissance units, these series of secret facilities are part of North Korea's nuclear development. Ever since Kim Jong-un rose to power after his father's death, the iron regime has drastically increased its secrecy <laughs> towards nationals the and life. foreigners Does alike. He, he, Does he make recently, Supreme Leader Kim has disappeared from the public eye unexpectedly, like nobody saw him for weeks. It was not until later when satellite photos revealed he had undergone a critical surgery in his private hospital. The same secrecy is applied to the regime's military facilities. One base buried in the Dai Mountain near the Pangaeon Air Base was recently discovered in 2014. Disguised as an airplane parts factory, it's believed to be a uranium enrichment facility for nuclear weapons. According to the US Army, up to 8,000 similar subterranean bases exist throughout North Korea, including 84 secret tunnels capable of transporting tanks and up to 30,000 troops an hour into South Korea during an invasion. Shit. Additionally, for the past few years, Kim has ordered the construction of other underground naval and nuclear bases. Dozens of facilities connected to each other are part of a unified defensive system that's always ready to take the fight to South Korea or any other country that tries to invade the country from air, land, or sea. Anytime you want to pause man, the military infrastructures like... makes it challenging for adversaries to spy by it. a satellite and protects them from air attacks. That's One such base is even located break. near Kim's private residence in the vicinity of Rio Naval Base Area. According to experts, another submarine facility lies in Jingong, where submarine-launched nuclear missiles are stored <laughs> and developed. Yeah, these are only some of the facilities that, that experts have been able to detect. Buildings. Many more lie hidden. Since 1974, various North Korean tunnels <clears throat> leading to the DMZ with South Korea have been found by the U.S. and South Korean personnel. Not yet, Built anyway, with concrete Jonathan. Slabs, these tunnels count on electricity for light and fresh air generation, and wide passages for troop transportation. Not without no one knows Russia how much they've they expanded ever since.
0: What do you think, Lawrence?
2: Jacob Bogle, who has created a very comprehensive uh, map of North Korea based on satellite images, says that regarding the bases, quote, We know that they at least meet the level of sophistication found in other similar bases around the world during the 1960s and 1970s. One thing is clear. In the case of nuclear threats, North Korea is ready to mobilize men and vehicles through the underground tunnels and facilities to fight the enemy that dares to threaten Korean sovereignty. If that ever happens, only a coordinated air, land, and sea attack on those secret bases could put an end to Korea's advance. If not, it would be nearly impossible to entirely disarm the country in the event of war, for the sheer amount of facilities that remain hidden to protect North Korea's territory. <laughs> Mount Jangmuntal.
1: Yeah, I want pause that real fast, Greg. I want to say this: like, what is the secret of North Korea? Because it's like everyone knows they're evil. So what the fuck are they? <laughs> Why don't they just... I don't know. Just um, go full on war. I don't know. What do I don't do know.
0: They're their women look good, or maybe maybe that's South Korea I'm thinking of.
1: Well, they're both the same people, so it, it doesn't matter, now, north or south. It's no nah, man.
0: They're two. They're two in uniform in North Korea, man's like.
1: Nah, they're freaky, dude. Like all their buildings. <laughs> you were commenting that their buildings were really beautiful and stuff, like. But dude, no they are. I mean, they're buildings. amazing. They're empty. Like you need to watch the Vice episode on that, and like they're it's like a ghost town. They only come out to greet tourists. But you'll never see them living in those buildings. It's like empty. But go ahead.
0: All right, let's continue.
2: Mount Yamantau, standing at 5,381 feet, is the tallest peak in the Ural Mountains range in western Russia. Located near the closed military town of Mezgorgyay, it's thought by the U.S. government to be the site of a secret nuclear facility. Yeah,
1: exactly, Sweet doom.
2: Satellite imagery from the 1990s shows a colossal excavation project and large rail lines that serve the area. The Russians built two permanent installations with military and civilian populations on top of the secret facility. The facilities, or cities, were named Beloretsk 15 and Beloretsk 16. It's estimated that the facility was capable of housing up to 60,000 workers. The majority of them seem to be employed in a secret nuclear project. American scholars suspect that the work that's been done there was similar to that of the Manhattan Project. They look like they're having a good time. Others (laughs) point out that the facility was used to store nuclear warheads, with the cities working as a cover-up for the secret labs hidden underground. This was similar to the US's Project Iceworm, a secret military facility hidden beneath the cover-up city called Camp Century, located in Greenland's frozen wastelands. The Russian government has given several conflicting responses about the facility's purpose, with claims including it being a mining site, a storage for Russian treasures, a depository for food, and even a bunker for Russian leadership in the event of nuclear war. Nonetheless, the narrative has been inconsistent regarding the true nature of such a facility. The US accused Russia <laughs> of engaging in a quote deception and denial policy yeah, that was when they were while their Russia's defense ministry says right it does not, quote, inform it. mass media about facilities, whatever they are, that are in the interest of strengthening the security of Russia. Sources explain that in the surroundings of the Mezgorya base, as the Russians call it, there lies the last Russian nuclear laboratory, Shelyabinsk 70. This connection suggests that the secret facility does indeed hide a nuclear arsenal. Theories regarding what other weapons the facility has stored abroad. Some believe that hidden beneath the mountain, the Russians created a supercomputer that cannot be turned off or modified. Such a computer is programmed to launch and detonate the facility's hidden nukes when it detects any nuclear warhead crossing Russian territory.
1: That's like some adventure. be launched to specific right? locations the globe.
2: <laughs> After detonation, the explosion would provoke a radioactive cloud that would encircle the Earth, killing all plant life and unleashing doomsday. Underground Great Wall of China. The Underground Great Wall of China is a secret and complex network of tunnels and bunkers built for the transportation and storage of China's intercontinental ballistic missiles, known as ICBMs. This informal name given to the vast system of underground roads created by the Chinese military truly honors the ancient Chinese wonder of the world.
0: The Great Wall fascinates. A three-year
2: me. study to map the tunnel system, conducted by Georgetown right. University and led by Professor Philip Carver, alleges that nearly three thousand miles of hardened tunnels exist, and presently store up between three thousand to thirty-six hundred nuclear warheads. <laughs> Experts estimate the construction must have begun in 1905. <laughs> Dude, a war with, with them would suck. Tunneling and dig sites. <laughs> yeah. The location of the main base lies in the mountainous terrain of northern China near the in March 2008, the CCTV but... channel, run by the Chinese government, exposed the construction of the tunnels built to store and transport the Chinese 2nd Artillery Corps' ICBMs. They have so much hidden Unlike shit, ICBMs man. stored in static nuclear silos, up to which are easily located and destroyed right? by enemies in war, like Afghanistan underground when it, comes to ICBMs. Stuff. it ensures China can move them to mount a second strike, a retaliatory nuclear attack. If the rumors of the 3,000 ICBMs are accurate, China may host the world's largest missile mounted nuclear arsenal. In 2010, the US and Russia signed the new START Accord, limiting the number of missiles each country has to a maximum of 1,550 warheads. Who's counting? Who's yeah. doing this? Site
1: 9-11. <laughs> what if they lie? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, how that's how the
0: whole thing. It's like, I'm sure they can probably track it via materials used to make them or something like that. But, you know, like, hey, uh, you know, why are you uh, stockpiling so much uh, uranium here? What, what are you trying to do over there? But no, man, yeah, exactly. the, like the Great Wall of China is big, man. So what if they could hide so much shit under that?
1: Yeah, dude, they, you know, that like China, they have secret bases and shit like we do. And I don't know, but they it's I don't know, like they're they have so many people, man. So like if you go to war with them, you're fucked because it's like a billion something people, ain't it?
0: yeah but are they starving like north koreans that's what you got i don't know about
1: all that i think they're a little bit uh they're like north korea 2.0 or something so probably
0: (laughs) north korea 2.0 it's like they did everything north korea did but better we got a lot to get through so let's continue
2: at an unnamed israeli air force base in tel aviv the united states corps of engineers supervises the construction of an underground facility known as site 911 construction allegedly began in 2013, with an ideal installation time of more than two years, but not much is known ever since. Only U.S. firms could apply, and work restrictions were so severe only that only workers the truth, in the Jonathan. U.S., Canada, Europe, and other select countries and continents could be hired for the construction. According to the 2012 request for proposal, the $100 million, 127000 square foot structure will have five levels underground, and include a laboratory, classrooms, an auditorium, shock-proof doors, and protection from radiation. Consistent with Jewish tradition, all doorways will be affixed with the mezuzah or parchment inscribed with verses from the Torah.
0: That di- Curiously,
2: phase two of the Conti International Project requires all contractors to hold a secret security clearance, prompting rumors it will be a secure command center. However, neither Israel nor the United States has said anything regarding its purpose. Site 911 is one of the many military projects the U.S. has commenced for the Jewish state to World War II. Sure. To this day, the U.S. has built more than six hundred million dollars' worth of military facilities in Israel. National Security Analysis Center.
1: Uh oh. The music changed and everything. So the National Security Analysis new, uh, Center is a relatively unknown branch of
2: the U.S. Justice Department. It's grown since its creation in 2008 from a small unit to a 400-employee, 150 million dollar a year that organization yeah, you that employs hundreds it. of private contractors. Initially conceived to pursue foreign terrorists, the agency currently has a massive data gathering system that collects data from the day-to-day activities of American citizens. The NSAC originated from the FBI's Foreign Terrorist Tracking Task Force, established one month after 9-11 to seek potential terrorist threats. However, with the rise in threats originating from within America during the last decade, the NSAC's focal point broadened by 2008. The agency now focused its attention on the American population.
0: That's the shit that scares me right there. Is the yeah, works as a search it. engine
2: that picks up Realty data from whole, several sources yep. while performing pattern and link analysis, cross-referencing.
1: It's like New World in the Order 2000s, shit.
2: The FBI located a suspected Al Qaeda operative hiding in Houston through the National Security Analysis Center. The agency also helped when the FBI received intel that a Pakistani hate group was operating as taxi drivers in Philadelphia. The bureau was able to identify them by running massive background checks.
0: Look at that! Scan, 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 scan. Right.
2: Exactly.
1: The NSAC has access to
2: 130 databases and <laughs> data sets. This information comprises over 2 billion records, half of which are not available to any other government branch.
1: Yeah.
2: In fact, the NSAC is the only organization within the American government with the authority to thoroughly investigate the everyday activities of Americans and foreigners alike.
0: Shit.
2: From a Just headquarters that much power, Virginia, man. its headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, the NSAC crazy. can access the entirety of U.S. government databases. It also has access to plenty of commercial and law enforcement data, such as international travel records, bank and casino transactions, half a million names of potential terrorists, and nearly 200 million records transferred from private data brokers. That breaks
1: it down right there. Just like there's no hiding. The
2: NSAC from keeps files on millions of U.S. citizens. You'll be on that list if you've ever received a phone call from within a federal prison, changed your address with the postal service, rented a car, used a corporate credit card, Just or a received of identification address? from a private company. Yeah, they got me. Both the American Civil Liberties Union and the Electronic <laughs> Frontier Foundation have conducted private investigations and obtained documents that prove the existence of these data collection efforts.
1: What flag is that?
2: The <laughs> investigations portray the National Security Analysis have, like, Center as a massive, and government intelligence entity that uh, the the go with a dubious privacy agenda that goes you. far beyond catching foreign terrorists. All right, yeah, I want to
0: that. Talk we about 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 stuff better. we saw in that last one. The The facial recognition shit and all the ways that they have to identify people and track people now is just insane. Like my job uses like the facial identification stuff all the time on all the registers, the uh, security camera stuff like that, so they can.
1: Well, dude, it's sad because now bank robbing is done. Like, there's no way because, like, even with like the mask. Because remember the whole mask mandate, and they were like, before you start thinking about becoming like a criminal. You know, they can still see, they can recognize your face with that technology, even with masks on. So you're not getting away with nothing. Those little medical masks for the COVID, they can still get you and recognize you through databases, even with masks on. That's crazy. Like
0: What what was crazy about that last video is he was talking about, even if you just had a change of address, you automatically got a file on you. So you move, put in a change of address, boom, file filed by the FBI. Let's put them on file.
1: That's what scares me, dude. It's like, we're we're all filed, man. It's We're all under a number. We, they have something on us. No matter what you've done, didn't do, you know, they got you. Your name, everything, but it is what it is. I mean, what can you do, right? Well, that was good, man. Let's see
0: uh, what else they're throwing at us.
1: Okay, go ahead.
2: Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Support. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court is a US federal court confirmed under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of 1978. The FISA Court, as it is commonly known, was created as a government branch that oversees and manages requests for surveillance warrants against foreign spies inside the United States. During more than four decades, the Court has only denied a handful of warrants, and its power has been compared to that of the Supreme Court. Intelligence agencies such as the NSA and the FBI rely on the FISA Court to obtain legal access to private data during investigations. From its inception over 40 years ago, I was there have been almost 40,000 requests for surveillance warrants, and only just over 11 have been denied. Oh!
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a whole back story The FISA on Court was initially too. composed
2: of seven U.S. Chief Justice appointed district judges that served for seven years. However, the I like 2001 though, amendments Bert. to the U.S. Patriot Act increased the number of judges to 11. Despite having this vast amount of power, all the FISA Court meetings were entirely secret, as are all current records. Only some redacted documents have been made public over the years. The court hearings can occur at any time during the day, even on holidays. And at least one judge has to be on call at all times to attend emergency hearings or look at evidence to decide whether or not to issue a warrant. The FISA court's influence has expanded so much that it's sometimes thought of as parallel to the Supreme Court. The court operates through the tax contribution of American citizens, and it is expected to protect their civil rights, anonymity, and humanity as residents of the U.S. When whistleblower Edward Snowden leaked highly classified information from the NSA in 2013, it became public knowledge that the FISA court provided the agency with access to their citizen email and call databases. This revelation left many citizens pondering whether the court really cares about the safety of Americans. Joint improvised threat defeat organization. The Joint Improvised Threat Defeat Organization, known as JIDO, was established in 2006 as part of the U.S. Department of Defense that dealt with certain threats from improvised explosive devices in small unmanned aerial systems, both in the U.S. and abroad. It is known that JIDO has recently focused on the emerging global threat from drones. Still, reporters who have delved too deep into their operations have been sanctioned and returned to the U.S. According to the Department of State's website, JIDO's mission is to quote, enable Department of Defense actions to counter improvised threats, with tactical responsiveness and anticipatory acquisition, in support of combatant commander's efforts to prepare for and adapt to battlefield surprise. As the global war on terrorism has steadily grown, JIDO has expanded from dealing with unexpected battlefield incidents, to full-on counterterrorism and counterinsurgency. One of JIDO's primary efforts in Middle Eastern nations is to track materials and methods used for building explosive devices. The objective is to cut off the suppliers and locate the funding sources and perpetrators. JIDO then shares the information with combatant commanders and allied governments. JIDO also focuses on destroying the secured explosive devices. The organization employs robots to defuse and detonate them instead of having individuals risking their lives. All robots. However, many of JIDO's Middle Eastern operations occur in secrecy. Many field reporters who have spoken about JIDO's bomb technology, such as remote detonation jammers, have been sent back to the United States. It is also believed that JIDO can interrupt GPS, eavesdrop on communications, and even hack into foreign drones all over the world. Jesus. United States Special Operations Command.
0: The, SoC.
2: the United States Special Wait, Operations Command or SOCOM is a unified combatant command in charge of orchestrating all special well operations involving the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, and Air Force. If an operation involves several military branches, SOCOM acts as the common operational link. But their power has grown with barely any accountability. The drone dogs have put their culture and ethics into question.
1: Yeah, the drone dogs fucking scare
2: me. The US Special Operations Command was set up after the disastrous Operation Eagle Claw, a failed 1980 rescue mission in Iran, in which a helicopter crash took the lives of eight servicemen before their planned arrival at the US Embassy in Tehran.
1: Yeah, the drone dogs can never fall down. SOCOM coordinates the distinct
2: branches within the military. When different special operations forces are involved in an operation, SOCOM is the Joint Component Command.
1: SOCOM, remember the game?
2: Oh, yeah. Since its activation in April of 1987, <laughs> SOCOM has orchestrated many pivotal operations, from the invasion of Panama in 1989, to the war on terrorism... Why are they invading the a random
1: park? Like, that was
2: like... <laughs> SOCOM is allowed to undertake actions such as combat, special recon, counterterrorism, foreign internal defense, unconventional warfare, civil affairs, counter-narcotics so operations, funny and even psychological warfare.
0: Psychological warfare? By
2: 2019, there were special operations members in 141 countries, a 135% rise from the late 2000s, when America's commandos were operating in only 60 nations. This record global deployment happened, as inquiries came to light on alleged malfeasance by some of America's most elite troops over possible ethical failings and criminal behavior among troops. Psychological
0: warfare, what exactly? recent about years, the
2: U.S. Special Operators have faced serious misconduct allegations, including <laughs> war crimes, <laughs> substance exactly, abuse, and a wide like array of was... violent acts.
1: I've been in to that part
2: SOCOM has a lot of power and minimal accountability there? at home and abroad.
1: Do you want that helicopter, In the wake of such high-profile scandals, John Richard
2: Clark, commander of U.S. Special Operations Command, cool. ordered a comprehensive culture and ethics review of the Special Operations community in 2019. As he wrote in a memo, quote, Recent incidents have called our culture and ethics into question and threatened the trust placed in us. The American people must trust those who protect them.
1: Right.
0: SOCOM are the people you don't like kicking down your doors.
2: Oh, fuck no. National Reconnaissance Office.
1: <laughs> how many, you know, how many chicks you can get, dude, saying you're SOCOM? Like, that's like a great job to have. I don't the think so. National can Reconnaissance people. Office or
2: NRO. Is an agency in the Department of Defense that that operates the government's ever increasing network of satellites and supplies reliable surveillance information. But alarming reports indicate that their satellite spy technology has evolved to the point of threatening the dimensions of individual privacy.
0: There we go again.
2: The National Reconnaissance Office is considered one of the big five American intelligence agencies, along with the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. first press reports about the NRO's existence service in 1971, and, and the first official acknowledgement of the agency Loud was in a Senate committee report from October 1973 that inadvertently exposed its existence. A 1985 New York Times article revealed that the primary functions of the NRO were to develop, build, launch, operate, and manage space reconnaissance systems and their intelligence-related activities for U.S. national security. It was also revealed that the NRO allows many other government offices to track individuals and have an eye in the sky all around the globe. Okay. <laughs> in 1996, a bipartisan commission report described the NRO as the Big Five agency with the largest budget, stating that it had only grown over the years and illustrating their latest intelligence analysis device called Sentient as their most advanced and dangerous machine yet. Project is still being treated as a government secret. And has only been a few speeches one. and presentations.
1: I'll talk about this
2: one. Formerly classified documents released in 2020 revealed new details about the program's goals, progress and reach. Under development since 2010, sentient is an artificial intelligence spy satellite system capable of using data, both past and present to anticipate future events, guide satellites and advise the American anticipate military against future events. Threats.
1: Yeah, what <laughs> the fuck?
2: The sentient AI would be capable of combining satellite imagery with numerous data sources, sentient such as AI. news broadcasts, environmental sensors, human conversations, and even social media interaction to obtain real-time insights into the world below. It is said that the government will probably never acknowledge the program's existence unless something goes terribly wrong.
0: Okay. Oh, look, look what's on the screen for the next one. Area 51. That should be good. But yeah, man, like the sat the satellite stuff is even creepier than the facial man. recognition the stuff, stuff.
1: They have it's like, dude, fighting them is no point, man. It's like it would be so demoralizing if you knew everything that they had on you, like the stuff they can launch. The robot dogs by themselves are crazy. This right well, here is something else.
0: Well, that's why I was that's why I was telling you, man, like I I don't like to dive into this stuff too deep anymore, man, because it's just depressing. Like it, it's line. it's so depressing. Like when you start finding the secret after secret after secret, no explanation behind it, and then you have all the, you know, you got the real conspiracy stuff, and you got all the fake ass shit that comes out. It it's 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 like a full time job to try to go through and research and find out where the
1: facts are and what's well, dude, just you know, BS. Dude, Skynet is real. Like people don't realize. I know that. that's that's, what's that's what scares dude, like, me.
0: When you watch a Terminator movie now and you see that Skynet shit, like you can't look at it like, oh, look, this is just ridiculous.
2: Because no, like, it's ridiculous. gonna, it's
0: probably gonna happen similar to that in the future. And sentient
1: AI, like, what? When did that become mm-hmm. like a thing that sounded like a good idea? Why do we need AI to be self-thinking? You know what I mean? Like these things don't need food. They don't need you can shoot them and they can come back, be rebuilt. Like they yeah, not-
0: And the thing about that too is like they said they they mentioned sending a sentient AI and also that, you know, like uh, basically it tries to predict the future. Like yeah, that's all I want. It's, uh artificial intelligence trying to you know predetermine events. That's that sounds like a recipe for success.
1: Right. Dude, I always lose it. Uh spades anyways on my phone like i have like (laughs) you know saying or billards and the computer knows my moves like i can read my patterns and like imagine like something like that but like for real life like not for a video game or nothing but in like real life events like warfare or try to indoctrinate me or or kill me you know even so you know It's 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 scary stuff
0: man let's uh let's see what else we got here
1: okay let's go
2: Unofficial photography from inside and around Area 51 is strictly forbidden to keep the base's classified operations a secret. Those who get too close to the installation I think will be greeted so, by the chemo teams, a group of mysterious armed government contractors. The U.S. government barely acknowledges Area 51's existence. However, thanks to the CIA's declassification of several images in 2011, a picture revealed the site's infamous sanitation team. In
1: 1963.
2: Oh, wow. The story began when a Lockheed A-12 reconnaissance aircraft built for the CIA crashed north of Area 51. The spy plane could fly almost undetectable to radars and cross the continental United States in only 70 minutes. Wow. Test pilot <laughs> Ken Collins, codenamed Ken Colmar, told National Geographic no, he'd okay, testing yeah, the shabby. supersonic engine at a low altitude. Suddenly, quote,
1: the airplane the pitched up and went beast. up
2: and got inverted and went into a flat incipient spin. Even though the plane was upside down, The pilot managed to eject and was picked up by three civilians who gave him a ride in the opposite direction of Area 51. When they asked about the plane, Collins said it carried a nuclear weapon to ensure they wouldn't go back to the site. According to National Geographic, the pilot was given hypnosis and a truth serum to guarantee he relayed all the facts to the incident correctly. Historian David Robards said the CIA needed to cover up the crash to protect the engineering and aeronautical advances of the Oxcart program. As part of their effort, Curious civilians were told that a nuclear bomb was on board and that they should evacuate the area. Meanwhile, the workers hid the wreckage under purpose to maintain the project's secrecy.
1: Shit, yeah. Hold on.
2: This picture shows parts of the aircraft scattered on the ground, including the two engines and the rear fuselage. A quick response team was immediately sent to the crash site, where they used bulldozers and cranes to clean the remains of the aircraft. CIA overseers considered dynamiting the debris so nobody could identify the plane. The workers used blowtorches to dismantle the larger parts of the plane, like the wings and fuselage. They then transported the remains in boxes back to the base. However, after the picture's declassification, pieces of titanium belonging to the aircraft were still found at the site. Tunnels are rumored to connect Area 51 to classified aircraft test sites through America's desert and the Mountain West. This supposedly allowed the CIA to keep the crash a secret for 50 years, and has possibly allowed the hiding of even more sensitive incidents from public view bohemian grove oh here Hold we on, go greg wait, this is wait, you wait
1: wait
0: bohemian grove yeah so this this one must be the one that they talk about areas that they don't want you to know about um on the dark five but the area 51 stuff man there's just so much shit there That are like hey uh yeah a, there was a nuclear bomb on board so y'all might want to leave the area everybody
2: everybody leave the area
0: <laughs>
1: Okay, yeah. I'll say this, dude. Area Fifty One's crazy, and like, there was remember that whole thing where they were gonna storm Area Fifty One. That was like a Facebook challenge. I'm mad that they dropped the ball on that because that would have been like the biggest thing. I mean, granted, the government released all that that UFO stuff, anyways. But still, man. Man,
0: it was a group. It was a group of nothing but cowards, man. Because like, if you really want the truth, you got to be willing to die for it. Because guess what? There's going to be armed guards there at Area 51. So if you want to storm it, some of you is going to die. That's the something, reality
1: is something is going on in Area 51. Is all I gotta say. Because like, there's too much secrecy for just you know f- for just weather balloons or like secret planes and shit. I, maybe it is secret take like weapons and stuff but even that's scary no
0: no jonathan i'm glad you asked it's not that i wanted it or anything i just i hated that they tried to put on the facade like they were willing to give their lives to get the truth i'm like who are you trying to fool man like i want to know the truth as much as everybody else but you know what i don't i don't want a bullet to the head trying to find out so you know what i'm gonna stay here in my safe haven
1: yeah dude if you get like within two miles of that place or 10 miles or something like that, a helicopter will greet you and be like hey what are you doing here <laughs> so there's no breaching eh, at, the, going, man.
0: at the end here well uh i'll ask you about the bob lazar stuff but let's see what they got to say about bohemian grove
1: oh you're gonna like this go ahead since
2: 1878 the bohemian grove campground has been an annual gathering site for the world's richest and most powerful men this gentleman's club attracts titans of business and government officials to a secluded redwood forest outside of san francisco california bohemian grove's purpose is to escape what they call quote the frontier culture and focus on civilized men's interests yeah Shit. the secret invitation only nature of the event means that only a few outsiders have actually seen what happens at the camp rumors run rampant of bizarre ceremonies and rituals that serve to bond together those who allegedly decide the world's affairs the famous men that gather in the campground are told that quote Weaving spiders come not here, meaning that businesses aren't allowed to discuss during their gathering. However, members of the club commonly retell the story of how the Manhattan Project, which led to the invention of the atomic bomb, was planned there in 1942.
1: Are they having a good time, Greg?
2: Some images have captured famous men of the Bohemian pretty, Grove. It looks pretty serious for. Example, for this picture people. shows U.S. former presidents Ronald Reagan Escaping. and Richard Nixon at the campground in the summer of yes, Richard Nixon and Reagan. Former government leaders are usually members of this club, and after 40 years of membership, are granted a quote old guard status which allows them reserved seating at the grove's daily talks. One of the main symbols of the club is patron Saint John of Nepomuk. A wood carving of him stands at the shore of the club's lake. It's supposed to symbolize the secrecy the members of the grove have to keep. Bohemian grove has been infiltrated several times. The earliest pictures of the gathering's mysterious rituals are from the 1900s. The images were discovered in a set of photographs marked as being taken or collected by Gabriel Mulan, a San Francisco photographer who was a member of the club.
0: that's dead.
2: The pseudo-Pagan ceremonies appear to depict staged sacrifices and occult magic, such as this ritual oh, identified this. as the Power Party. The main event is centered in the cremation of Care, the
1: power a yearly
2: performance in which a spirit called Care is cremated by the player's hero. The event occurs in front of a 40-foot-tall owl shrine. The owl is the mascot of the club, and is supposed to symbolize wisdom. All members attend the event in disguise. In this picture, an elite member of the Grove is going through a purging of worldly concerns. The hooded figure is another senior member responsible for guiding him through the purge. The event is still performed today and was recently documented by filmmaker Alex Jones. When asked about the footage, a spokesperson told the Washington Post that the performance is, quote, a traditional musical drama celebrating nature and summertime.
1: Nah, no, that's some Illuminati shit.
0: Okay. So Bohemian Grove, man. That, this is a thing. People, you know, we're as the citizens are expected to put all our trust in the government, the senators, the people of that, people of that nature that have our best interests at heart. Well, going out and doing this weird shit in the woods is yeah, a that's why It's weird. like
1: <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors by having secret meetings where you do like sword and sorcery type shit sacrificing stuff in the, the was like, like we already kind of like are kind of weird about you but then you go and do this it doesn't help the matter
0: also like people harp on like the weirdness of like religions and such like that a lot you know all their different types of like uh rituals and things of like that that they they, they do <sighs> That whatever the fuck is going on there at Bohemian Grove is way weirder than any of that stuff, man, because it's it's just it's odd. And it's yeah, and, and these are and these are like the richest people, the richest and most powerful people right. in the world Let's too doing people this. Stuff. End,
1: you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't look like you're an elitist organization. You know, that's, you just let <laughs>
0: that's that's why once you once you achieve that that level, man, you just start to get bored, I guess, with regular Regular life, regular society. So you get into right. weird shit. Transcend Who
2: humanity. So. Who knows what the
0: fuck they do out there, man? It's it's weird. Know. Go ahead.
2: U.S. <laughs> Supreme Court hearing. This 1932 photo by Eric Salomon is believed to be the first and one of the only I'm gonna photos taken on that. in the Supreme right? Court hearing. <laughs> Cameras are forbidden inside the chamber by Federal Rule 53. <laughs> The Shahamand is said to have sneaked into Fortune <laughs> right. magazine by faking a broken arm and hiding it in his sling. Right. This photo shows the old Senate chamber of the Capitol building. Level ninety nine achieved. The second photo was taken five years later by an unidentified woman. It's believed Look to be this the only shit, image that man. captures all nine justices seated in frame. The author of the photo remains a mystery, but it's it like said a she was able to her camera with the lens through a hole Pretty in her much. Purse. This final photo, published in nineteen thirty seven, is believed to be the last confirmed image from inside the chamber. Little is known about its origin, but it appeared in the New York Daily News, along with a story about the newly seated Justice I love that movie, Corey. The two final pictures were taken in the current United States Supreme Court building, which was not completed until 1935. In 2014, Advocacy Group 99 Rise took this two-minute-long footage, the first-ever recording of the Supreme Court in session. It's a mystery how the group managed to sneak in a camera through metal detectors not only once, but twice in a month.
1: Probably in their butt. Führer Bunker. Pause that. Yeah, I had no idea, Greg, that, that we'd never seen footage of the Supreme Court in session. I didn't know that was like a secret. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know that was something.
0: Oh yeah, man. Those are supposed to be closed door sessions. Only uh like the people attending.
1: no one even knows what that room looks like unless you're, you know, supposed to have been there, which is insane to me because I'm like, Wow, you know.
0: <laughs> That's what I was talking about though, man. Once you start jumping down that rabbit hole and looking at all the secrecy and stuff like that, it, it starts to make you question things and doubt things, but uh, let's continue.
1: Right.
2: Two was coming to an end. Adolf Hitler spent his final day as hiding with his staff in the infamous Führer Bunker. This 30-room construction had two air raid shelters connected by a staircase, a bulkhead, and a steel door. Hitler married Eva Braun inside the bunker on April 29th, 1945, only 40 hours before both surrendered to their impending fate. After the fall of Berlin, Soviet troops tried in vain to demolish Hitler's bunker. The Red Army eventually gave up on destroying the 13-foot concrete roof until it was buried and erased from records in 1959. The site sat neglected and abandoned for decades, and the subject of the bunker remained taboo. That all changed in 1987 when the East German government began clearing the area for a new housing complex. The excavation uncovered an underground complex that was flooded but still mostly intact. The site offered a glimpse of forbidden history. When photographer Robert Conrad was riding a bus by the construction site, he noticed by chance the massive underground structure that looked like a bunker. With his curiosity excited, Conrad started researching the site, which didn't appear to have a particularly restrictive security system. Posing as a construction worker, the photographer snuck in a Praktica camera with a 35 mm wide-angle lens into the Nazi bunker. There, he explored the hidden labyrinth, some of which extended directly under the Berlin Wall and into the Death Strip separating East and West Berlin. Conrad risked his life and freedom to capture these photos of the rusting and crumbling site in 30 clandestine visits, even managing a self-portrait in front of the Fuhrer Bunker, which was flooded with water too high to enter. Through the decades, the site's been looted, and none of the Fuhrer's belongings remain. Once, Conrad came across a man on a similar quest, who was drawing the remains of the Bunker with a charcoal and piece of paper. Each carried on with their task without saying much to the other, afraid to be caught. And although the police found him one time while he was inside the bunker they let him go with nothing more than a warning his quest ended in 1989 when the site was once and for all filled with rubble and gravel denver international airport
1: Pause that so greg what do you think of that man like that was the last place you know like that Hitler was at, like, that's insane. That it's still, even to this day, it's covered with gravel and what have you. It's still there. You know, it's like, I don't know, a piece of history. I don't know. Do
0: you, do you give think? any? Do you give any kind of enter, Do you give any kind of like entertainment to the idea that Hitler escaped and lived out his life?
1: No, I, I that don't. That whole big they, theory. Can, no, no, there's no way because
0: I don't think so. Neither. I think that's ridiculous. Give, yeah. <laughs> I think the most they notor- had- one of the most notorious men on the planet managed to just sneak out without anyone noticing. Not it. only
1: that, dude, they caught all his guys pretty easy. They would have squealed on him or something. You know, they're all headed to being hung. You know, they got Himmler pretty easy. And, you know, they were either taking cyanide capsules, but they were all over that area. So, you know, yeah. they would have got him. Go ahead.
2: Ever since the opening of Denver International Airport in 1995, rumors have swirled of a secret underground facility beneath its floors. Contractors working on the project alleged seeing underground tunnels and bunker entrances unrelated to airport operations. There was of speculation after mysterious unidentified cost overruns totaled over $2 billion. There was also the failure and subsequent abandonment of an underground luggage conveyor belt system that many people believed was never intended to work. Some are also suspicious of Freemason symbols and strange images that were incorporated into airport modeling and its design, including an eerie alien drawing that's said to have been discovered on the wall of one of the secret underground floors. I've heard floors. That, Corey. Author Alex Christopher believed that something was amiss with the airport. She eventually met engineer Phil Schneider, who was involved in the construction. In 1994, both of them snuck into the airport before it was inaugurated. They allegedly took these photos of the unexplained tunnels and a secret runway. The pictures highlighted the existence of a large and mysterious steel door that supposedly seals off a 55 square mile empty cavern.
0: In a recount visit,
2: Christopher said that the supposed lowest level was hot, unlike how cold basements usually are. Schneider pointed out that the heat rose from beneath their feet, signaling the possible existence of many other secret lower levels. Christopher also claimed that there are two other hidden runways which have been covered under four inches of dirt. But what's the purpose of the mysterious underground base? So, on Christopher, know. it could be used as a medical research lab, a prison, or military accommodations.
1: Huh.
2: In November 1954, President Eisenhower approved the secret development of the high altitude U 2 reconnaissance aircraft. A remote, covert location for its training and testing was needed. That place was found in the southern Nevada desert near a salt flat known as Groom Lake. Known by its map designation as Area 51, the site became a top secret military base. It's also been referred to as Watertown Strip or Dreamland. And within the intelligence agencies, the area was named Paradise Ranch to encourage workers to move to, quote, the new facility in the middle of nowhere. As the CIA leader described, it It really does look like
0: in the, the U2 spy the planes,
2: nowhere. the SR-71 and the F-117A stealth fighter. All these secret projects were flight tested out of the facility at Groom Lake. Numerous black projects are rumored to have been flown out of the base. It was so secretive that the CIA only acknowledged its existence after a freedom of information request in 2013. Breaching this area is thought to be impossible. Here are five ways in which the U S air force and CIA plan to defend area 51.
1: <laughs> this should be good. That's what I'm saying. Let's see what they got Secret for Secret sensors. Secret sensors.
2: Sensors proliferate all around Area 51's perimeters. These electronic devices are connected by underground cables, packed in a rugged case and buried in the dirt. The sensors act individually and collectively as a surveillance system. I like this. Similar devices have been spotted in the area in the early 1990s. They were crude and bulky, stashed in the bushes and easily spotted. The newer sensors are niftier and more clandestine, given away only by a slender antenna poking up through the dirt. It's believed that each device is coded with a three digit identifier that can be read off an internal dial and correlate with GPS coordinates. Some of the sensors are located miles from the facility. Chuck Clark is a well known Area 51 investigator. He and a friend were able to track of these sensors back in 2003. Clark even led a news crew from Las Vegas' KLAS television station into the desert and showed them some of the road sensors. The following week, FBI and Air Force agents raided Clark's trailer home in Richel, Nevada and carted off his computer and photographs. Shit. The authorities then charged Clark with a single count of interfering with a communication system used for national defense. Clark agreed to, quote, either locate and return the sensor removed on March 12, 2003, or pay restitution to the United States Air Force to replace the missing sensor. In 2013, evidence evidence emerged that newer sensors were being set up around Area 51. A satellite image showed a cement pad with what looked like two uprights embedded in it, two to three crossbeams, and two pipes coming up supporting something rectangular. There was speculation that these were sensors aimed at a new threat to Area Fifty-One secrecy, commercial drones. Could these new structures be anti-drone or drone detection devices? That remains unknown. Camo dudes. Camo dudes. The already mentioned sensors are especially helpful to the security forces that patrol the 38,000 acres that comprise yeah, Area 51 here. at every hour every day. These men are famously tough and unrelenting. There's even a valley near Area 51 known ominously as Sniper Hill. Signs everywhere around Area 51 Shit. warn that security <laughs> can use deadly force against intruders. These security forces are dubbed the Camo Dudes, thanks to the military style camouflage clothes they always wear. How what you may think be surprising, tired? given that Area True. 51 is a top secret government facility, is that the camo dudes are not members of the US military or the US government. They're essentially private security guards. Area 51's camo dudes are employed by AECOM Corporation, a large, very secretive government contractor. AECOM refuses to either confirm or deny that the corporation is a supplier of camo dudes R- to Area essentially 51. Essentially Red Rocket. What it is. Camo dudes have plenty of equipment to spy on outsiders. They have long range viewing devices and night vision gear and their white pickups are equipped with monitors to keep tabs on the road four are awesome. movements near the base's yeah. <laughs> It's also well known that the radio frequencies used by camo dudes are encrypted. Instead of voice communication, one just hears noise. The That's camo dudes are known creepy. to even harass and threaten people who are on the public side of the base border, which is actually against that. the law. And if you're apprehended trespassing on Area 51's property, you'll be handed over to the Lincoln County Sheriff. This is a sheriff, notoriously hard on Area 51 tourists. He views anyone found near Area 51 as nothing more than a potential trespasser. Ultimately, the camo dudes could be considered Area 51's judges, juries, and executioners. The camo dudes. I need to chill out speeding like that, though. Janet Air, the world's most secret airline. What does a name like Janet have to do with the gung-ho camo dudes of Area 51? Many of the camo dudes live in Las Vegas, the nearest large city to Area 51. Those who live in Vegas have to be flown in and out of the base. Enter the secret Janet flights, which shuttle Area 51 employees back and forth on a daily basis between the facility and a hidden (laughs) terminal at McCarran International Airport in Las Vegas. It's believed that Janet stands for just another non-existent terminal airline call signs fall into two categories some are simply the airline's name like Alitalia 726 Heavy or American 417 then there are those with more elegant call signs like Speedbird for British Airways flights Shamrock for Ireland's Aer Lingus or Springbok for South African Airways and then there's Janet it's a call sign shrouded in mystery Janet is an airline that isn't really an airline at all with a fleet that bears no logos. It has a fleet of a half-dozen nondescript Boeing 737-600s, plus a few Beechcraft 1900s and King Airs. Its Boeing 737s were previously flown by Taiwan's carrier Air China, and are painted white with a simple red stripe along the window line. Other than a civilian N-number registration, the planes have no other identification. These aircraft sit in front of a simple terminal building in a highly secure compound. It's estimated that between 1,000 and 1,500 people board the airline's planes in Las Vegas every day to be flown to and from Area 51. Even the origin of Janet is uncertain. Some believe it may stand for Joint Air Network for Employee Transportation. Still others say that it's a typically cryptic or just made-up military code name. Others believe it was former Area 51 commander Richard A. Sampson, who picked his wife's name to identify the commuter planes that ferried workers in from Las Vegas and Burbank back in the late 1960s. The homie Janet Callstein simply stuck. Janet is now run by the aforementioned giant government contractor AECOM. In 2018, AECOM posted a job opening for First Officer co-pilot Las Vegas, Nevada in the company's government business line. The preferred qualifications for the position include Boeing 737 Type Rating and Boeing 737 Experience. Candidates also need to quote, qualify for and maintain a top-secret government security clearance and associated work location access.
0: Oh, I bet.
2: Off the map. Ever since its inception, Area 51 has officially not existed on maps of that part of Nevada. However, the secrecy was threatened in early 1974 And the astronauts on Skylab pointed their camera out the windows and took pictures of a facility that did not officially exist. They returned to Earth, and their photographs quickly became a headache for NASA, the CIA, and the Department of Defense. The scope of the scandal was revealed in an internal memo to the then-Director of the CIA, William Colby, dated April 19, 1974. The memo made clear that the astronauts had been warned not to take photos of that area, yet they did so anyway. Why the Skylab astronauts disobeyed their orders and took the photos is unknown, as are what said photos depicted. The resolution of the image would have been limited given the technology at the time, yet it still sent the CIA into a total frenzy.
0: Well, I bet.
2: More recently it was found that even Google Earth chose not to provide satellite images of the facility for eight years. Between 2008 and 2016, investigative reporters Brendan Byrne and Drew Marotra of Vice undertook an investigation into how this happened, which they called, quote, a blind spot from the all-seeing corporate monolith continuously mapping the Earth. The authors tried to ascertain the mechanism used by Google in conveniently ignoring Area 51 for eight years. They were able to acquire one of the images of the dry lake bed from a satellite imaging company for $1,984.50.
0: I shake my head at some of the excuses Google they Earth use. Google Earth is
2: essentially a mosaic of tiles assembled from aerial and satellite photos. These are often provided by local and federal government, as well as Google itself.
1: What are they up to, man? What Google Earth denied that it this?
2: somehow censored the area in Nevada. It stated to the authors that, quote, our satellite imagery is licensed from third-party providers, who are commercially available and are not the property of google we update imagery by prioritizing areas that are most popular with users while complying with local and federal laws since then google has added two years of images to the missing time period yet six years remain without satellite imaging of area 51 available to the public
1: I mean, yeah, that's freaky because that's proof that something's going on firepower
2: black helicopters uh-oh It's not known whether Area 51 is part of either Edwards Air Force Base in California or the Nellis Air Force Range in Nevada, yet pilots from both bases are forbidden to fly in Area 51's airspace. In fact, pilots who knowingly fly into one of the buffer zones surrounding the facility can reportedly face punishment ranging from a court-martial to dishonorable discharge and even time in prison as a result. Helicopters are thought to provide additional defense support for Area 51. There were rumors that the helicopter pilots occasionally use illegal tactics like hovering very low over trespassers to harass them. Unsurprisingly, Area 51 is rife with conspiracy theories, one of which is that it's the manufacturing site for the government's infamous black helicopters. There have also been people who claim they were abducted by black government helicopters for experiments. The theory about black helicopters being both developed and based at Area 51 and used to deter potential intruders is one of the most difficult ones to verify.
1: Do you want one of those,
2: Greg? Black helicopter? Well, sure, if I could fly it. Soviet and Czechoslovakian parapsychology research. Uh-uh. The declassification of a 1975 document titled Soviet and Czechoslovakian parapsychology research reveals the findings of the Defense Intelligence Agency on Soviet tests intended to study the emotional and telepathic bond between a mother and her newborn infant, originating from the theory that mothers could sense the death of their offspring even without witnessing it. Due to ethical concerns, testing of this theory was conducted using rabbits rather than human subjects. The experiment and its results are detailed in the official report, which states, quote, Soviet scientists placed the baby rabbits aboard the submarine. They kept the mother rabbit in a laboratory on shore, where they implanted electrodes in her brain. When the submarine was submerged, assistants recorded the rabbits one by one. If the baby passed away while on the submarine, the mother rabbit's brain reportedly produced detectable and recordable reactions. The Soviets maintained these protocols and results as highly classified, but they were uncovered by American intelligence in the 1970s. The report mentions the Pavlov Institute in Moscow had been suspected of continuing animal telepathy experiments up to the time of the report's writing. The USSR intended to use the discoveries as part of submarine emergency communications. While the exact protocol is not laid out as to how the military would react in case a submarine's mother rabbit exhibited signs of the loss and no other contact could be made with it, it is theorized in the report that the signals captured from the rabbits could serve as an alert to potentially prepare bombers or some other sort of potential retaliatory force. Alternatively. Should the submarine witness an act or attack that merited a nuclear strike, the crew could signal using the baby rabbit and then surface to send a detailed message on what action to take. The specifics are not laid out. It's believed that the tests were conducted in 1956, and while creepy, may hint to larger unexplored truths about non-physical connections between living (laughs) beings. The rabbit looks like all kinds of fucked up. Drunk Nixon files.
0: So in the event they they get bombed... Or, you know, like the submarines going down, sinking, everyone's about to die on it. They kill the baby rabbit in hopes that it sends a signal to the mother rabbit to let them know that something happened. That's kind of that was, fucking crazy, yeah, man, That was
1: back in the 50s, man. They didn't care about that shit. There was no animal rights or nothing like that. So, were they sending monkeys to space and whatnot? So, that's crazy. Yeah.
2: Look at this the drunk ju-
1: Nixon house.
2: <laughs> Korea. President Richard Nixon changed the way communist nations interacted with the United States. He came in with strong anti-communist positions and used the triangular diplomacy strategy, pitting the two communist superpowers, China and the USSR, against each other. He aspired to be remembered for his foreign policy, but struggled with frustration regarding the Vietnam War, which he had promised to swiftly end Nixon was on between the US and all of its adversaries. Yeah, he was. I can Added see why that, now. He faced enemies within his own country, as he grew to see the Democratic Party as an enemy rather than a rival party. It's been claimed that Nixon grew increasingly agitated, developed a drinking problem, and became progressively paranoid of his foes, real or imagined. Thousands of classified documents from his administration were released to the public between 2007 and 2014. Thanks to those documents, it's now known that the United States was on the brink of nuclear war with North Korea in April of 1969, just a few months after Nixon took the presidency, with plans and orders drawn after North Korea attacked and took down an EC-121 spy plane on the sea of Japan. And they
0: don't
2: want none. The declassified documents kept by the National Security Archive revealed that Operation Freedom Drop sought to attack using both conventional bombs and nuclear bombs that would have covered 20 times the terrain that the one dropped in Hiroshima did. Wow. One memo from June of 1969 states that there were pre coordinated planned options to strike 12 key locations, command centers, naval bases, and airfields using tactical nukes. President Nixon reportedly went to bed drunk and suffered from insomnia throughout the crisis. He was supposedly absent from meetings in the Situation Room, where Henry Kissinger took over to lead Nixon's cabinet members in the absence of the intoxicated President. The decision was made at one point to enact preparations for a strike, with the 82nd Airborne Division setting up its nuclear bombers as if for war. Pilots were put on high alert and awaited the final order to bomb North Korea, and possibly jumpstart World War III. Fortunately, hours later they were told to stand down. Both kissinger and a sobered-up nixon decided to pack away from a full military escalation soviet september 1933 special okay. commission the memorial report so like dude how
1: many times is like the world almost come to an end within like minutes and hours
0: probably more than we'll ever know man honestly
1: exactly that scares me but go ahead
0: i mean just think about that like you're sleeping in your bed and the world could end in a matter of moments later.
1: Like right now, us streaming, there's some operation going on. Exactly, yeah, a like, bomb could drop. Something. It's,
0: it's crazy to think about. Robot dog could bust through your damn door and start attacking you. Or shooting lasers at you, I guess. That's what they do. I don't know. <laughs>
2: The Soviet Nazino affair remained undisclosed until Memorial, a history and civil rights NGO, released an investigation in 1988, including the declassified reports of a 1933 special commission from the Communist Party of Western Siberia. According to Memorial's findings, the head of the Joint State Political Directorate of the Soviet Union, Genrik Yagoda, and the leader of the Gulag system, Marvay Berman, proposed an incarcerated resettlement plan to Stalin in February of 1933. Which would oversee the resettlement of 2 million people to an isolated river island. A reduced plan for 1 million prospective deportees was approved by the Soviet Council for People's Commissars of the USSR in March. The 6,000 chosen deportees were evenly split in half between people deemed des and criminals. The Declasse people were those who were not granted passports during the passportization of the Soviet Union due to their personal histories, which precluded them from neatly fitting into the communist structure. Some were previously traders or peasants who had run away from the countryside due to lack of resources. The other half were petty criminals or people deemed dangerous taken from prisons in an attempt to decongest them. Between March and July, 85,937 people were arrested in Moscow for lack of a passport. The arrestees were usually deported to a transit camp in Tomsk within two days of their arrest. The people selected for the island were then sent about 500 miles to the north to Nazino Island by means of river barges originally meant to transport wood. The island only had a tiny population of Ostiak natives before it was turned into a prison settlement. The deporting authorities did not coordinate sending the prisoners with sufficient resources or supplies. The deportees were sent below deck on the barges and were only fed 200 grams of bread per person each day. While 4 kilograms of flour were given to each person, no additional food or even utensils were handed out. Even the newly recruited guards traveled with no provided uniforms or shoes.
0: I'll check it out, John. Just as the
2: 6,000 deportees landed on the island, the plan was rejected by Stalin, without an immediate plan to take them back into civilized Siberia. At the island, society fell apart before it was truly formed. The population of prisoners was composed mostly of people from cities with little to no knowledge of agriculture. This was paired with a lack of access to necessary tools to develop the land on the island and a less than hospitable climate. With almost no resources, gangs were formed to fight over food and whatever little possessions the prisoners had, mostly gold, tooth fillings, and crowns. The guards made things even worse by carrying out extortions and reprisals for petty criminality without ever reining in the gangs. People who attempted to escape were never heard of again. The doctors sent to monitor the island feared for their safety despite the presence of guards. It's believed that most prisoners on the island were eventually dehumanized and turned on each other. Wow, the island project was dissolved at the beginning of June. This is a good story. Only the 2,856 people left were transferred to smaller penal colonies, while 157 ill people were left behind. The Nazino affair, or Nazinskaya tragedia in Russian, as it became known, lasted only 13 weeks. Weather modification. Project Popeye. I like this. The release of the report Rainmaking in SE Asia, revealed the general protocols and existence of a top-secret weather modification program known as Operation Popeye between 1967 and 1972. The operation consisted of cloud seeding, a method to increase rainfall over the Ho Chi Minh Trail as an effort to lengthen the monsoon season and affect Vietnam during the war by overflowing rivers. Is that what
0: the fuck they're doing here? Because it won't stop raining here. I mean, every no, day. stop rain. and think
1: about that, dude. They had this technology back in the '60s where they can control clouds and like the weather. And like, imagine what they have now that the, we I don't know, know about. Dude. That's what's scary. They control like, the world, like literally.
2: It's it's a scary thought. Ruining roads and complicating the movement of North Vietnamese forces. The project was kept a secret from the international community to prevent any attempts to interfere with nixon program. again <laughs> the program had the backing <laughs> of secretary of state henry kissinger and the cia he was in, in bohemian was grove in the dark about the proceedings where wasn't he the scientific method of cloud seeding was discovered in 1946 by vincent schaefer while working for general electric to generate rainfall aircraft released lead iodide and silver iodide over cambodia laos and vietnam and departed from thailand Modernization of the original discovery was carried out at the Naval Air Weapons Station China Lake in California, with tests taking place over Okinawa, Guam, the Philippines, and even the American states of Texas and Florida. The results of the experiment remain classified. It is now known that $3.6 million was spent each year on weather control in Vietnam, which would roughly equate to $23 million modern dollars. While the success of the operation has been kept a secret, claims have been made that rainfall was increased by 30%. In the aftermath of the operations revealed to the public, the international community, led by the U.S., assembled an Environmental Modification Convention, a treaty banning warfare technology or acts that create, quote, earthquakes, tsunamis, and upsetting the ecological balance of a region, changes in weather patterns, clouds, precipitation, cyclones of various types, and tornadic storms, changes in climate patterns, changes in ocean currents, changes in the state of the ozone layer, and changes in the state of the ionosphere. Project 1794 Report
0: Let me ask you this. Do you think, like, they they mentioned it briefly in that video that, like, the weather modification, do you think it, like, messes up the uh, ecosystem to the business? And that's why we have, like, you know, more storms now, like, more hurricanes and such. Oh, definitely. Like, that stuff,
1: that can't be good for the environment.
0: I don't know if it was just that I was unaware when I was in school or younger, but, man, I don't remember hearing about, like so many hurricanes, tornadoes, and such like that. They seem like they were a rarity when I was a kid, but now it seems like it's a, a yearly occurrence that's some type of natural disaster. So,
1: I mean, something's going down. Like you're right. Uh, makes you wonder about climate change and all that. But this whole thing where they can control the weather and stuff like that, like the machines they have, it's just mind boggling. Like, what else do they have?
2: It's nuts. The jury is still out as to whether extraterrestrial beings have truly flown around planet Earth on disc-shaped spacecraft, but declassified documents have revealed that the United States did work on developing a flying saucer to psychologically terrorize enemies. <laughs> declassified in June of 2001, multiple reports detail their design and testing in the 1950s of a supersonic aircraft with vertical takeoff and landing capabilities.
1: I like, put the American flag
2: on Avro <laughs> Canada company.
1: The flying saucer is described as a
2: two foot high, 35.3 feet in diameter vehicle weighing 20,000 pounds and carrying 5,200 pounds of fuel. The Project 1794 Final Development Summary Report describes the speed potential of the vehicle, stating, quote, propulsive jets are used to control the aircraft. The aircraft can be designed to have satisfactory handlings with the whole flight range from ground cushion takeoff to supersonic flight at very high altitude. Supersonic tests suits the calculated thrust potential with the present design, will provide a much superior performance to that estimated at the start of contract negotiations, with a top speed potential between Mach 3 and Mach 4, a ceiling of over 100,000 feet, and a maximum range with allowances of about 1,000 nautical miles. Wind tunnel tests were conducted and proved that it could be maneuvered as intended with functional acceleration and rise, as well as great lift efficiency. 76 hours of test time were conducted in total at the MIT Naval Supersonic Laboratory. Was that like real footage? Recommended modifications were never completed, however, as modification designs were rejected and funding ran out early in the summer of 1961. The Avrocar programs connected to the US military were cancelled in December of that year. Two fully functioning Avrocars were produced, which the US military kept when it cancelled the program. model 58-7055 was loaned in 2007 to the national museum of the united states air force in ohio where it's been on display since 2008 after restoration model 59-4975 was lent for an extended outdoor display in canada and was then taken to the u.s army transportation museum in virginia where it remains under restoration the polio soviet space laser man the voice really The Skiff DM spacecraft was a Soviet orbital weapon system designed to destroy President Ronald Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative satellites with an innovative and lethal carbon dioxide laser. While Reagan's program was known as the Star Wars program, the Polyus was identified by the public as the Soviet Death Star or the Soviet space laser. The Star
1: Shots. Wars program, stuff that went Both down. Both projects were part of the rising tensions what between the
2: U.S. and the Soviet Union in the early 1980s. Mikhail Gorbachev expressly prohibited launching the Polus because he feared it would trigger an adverse military reaction from Reagan. But the Soviet military, arguing it was a defensive measure against American dominance in space, launched it on May 15, 1987, from Site 250 of the Baikonur Cosmodrome. The skiff mounted on the Polyus' Energia rocket was a small 1-megawatt carbon dioxide laser composed of a functional block and a purposeful module. It weighed nearly 90,000 kilograms and was 40 meters long and 4 meters in diameter. The functional block was equipped with a power system made of solar panels and small rocket engines to place the payload into orbit. Meanwhile, the purposeful module carried carbon dioxide tanks and turbo generators to produce the laser. The turbo generators pumped the carbon dioxide, which resulted in the atoms emitting light. During the skiff's final tests, Engineers realized the spacecraft would expel vast amounts of carbon dioxide, which would make it evident for Americans to figure out that it was a laser. Oh. To disguise the skiff, the Soviets resorted to a combination of Krypton and Xenon for its venting system. Upon interaction with ionospheric plasma around the Earth, the spacecraft would disguise itself as part of a geophysics team. Fortunately for Gorbachev and the whole world, the engines of the Polus failed, and the spacecraft turned into pieces of debris before reaching orbit. T-42 Super Heavy Tank Long before the Soviets produced the legendary T-34 medium tank that proved to be more than a worthy competitor to the German panzers, the Red Army struggled to produce a worthy series of armored vehicles. One of the earliest prototypes of super-heavy tanks produced by the communist forces was the T-42. This 100-ton colossus was created in cooperation with Germany during the aftermath of World War I. German and Soviet technicians worked closely to develop tanks and armored vehicles as part of the Kazan Tank School, and German designer Edvard Grote was approached by the Soviet General Staff to create a one of a kind super heavy tank. This type of vehicle often weighed more than twice the average of standard tanks, and they became notorious during the interwar period. I know, right? After several failed designs, Grote presented the General Staff a draft of a heavy tank that weighed 75 tons. Although rejected at first, the German engineer made tweaks to the design and called it T-42. This improved version caught the attention of the Soviets for its hundred-ton weight and its heavy armament.
0: The tank was equipped with five turrets,
2: and included a 107mm M1910 field gun, two 7.62mm machine guns, and two 45mm B-T-2 tank turrets. The armament was distributed in five armored towers and a crew of 15 men was required to control the tank for a clearer view of the battlefield the driver's compartment was located along the tank's axis the position was aggressively right, pushed forward with a sophisticated and heavy superstructure the power compartment was at the rear and the projected horsepower of the 100 ton tank was estimated at 2000 to move at a speed of 17 miles per hour two diesel engines were necessary to provide the required power
1: The, the T-42 super-tension like a consisted of
2: 17 twin small diameter rollers, like a rear driving Actually. sprocket, and an idler at the front. It also included an electric transmission to facilitate management. But the project was cancelled before the prototype entered production. Like all super heavy tanks of the era, the vehicle proved too costly, slow, heavy, and most importantly, too visible for enemy aircraft and artillery. The T-42 was basically a sitting duck in relation to the new type of warfare that would wage fear in the field of Europe. Bigger and heavier did not translate to better, and the Soviets moved on to the T-35 tank.
0: So the land show was a T-20
2: propaganda plane. <laughs> in the aftermath of World War One, every nation involved in the conflict began developing uh-huh. more powerful aircraft to support troops for ground operations.
1: Military tacticians knew that
2: aircraft would play a key role in future conflicts and experimented with different configurations. Exactly. The Soviet Union, on the other hand, wanted something different. As another effective way to increase propaganda of the Marxist regime, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin approved the development of the Tupolev ANT-20, an 8-engine aircraft that would become the largest warplane ever built. The gigantic aircraft had a wingspan of 206 feet, and was baptized with the name of Maxim Gorky to commemorate yeah. the literary career of the Russian author.
0: Yeah, back then. This was definitely. not a coincidence,
2: as the Tupolev ANT-20 was conceived with the specific purpose of promoting communist ideas. To achieve mm-hmm. this task, the Maxim Gorky was equipped with a massive library, printing equipment to drop thousands of leaflets, a radio set to speak to the masses, and even a projector to display propagandistic images in the skies. The aircraft required at least 10 men to function properly, and it could house up to 72 passengers. The Maxim flew for the first time in 1934. It would accomplish its propaganda missions for over a year before it fatally crashed during an air demonstration over Moscow on May 18, 1935. During the air show, an I-5 piloted by Nikolai Begin performed three-loop maneuvers around the Maxim Gorky. As it was conducting the third one, the I-5 collided with one of the Maxim's wings. The aircraft then crashed in a residential neighborhood near the Sokol Metro Station
1: Uh, and 45 people lost their lives.
2: Russian engineers eventually built another Maxim Gorky, but the launching of Operation Barbarossa Uh, and the German offensive of 1941 made it impossible to return to its propagandistic roots. This new aircraft was used to transport troops to the front lines. It fatally crashed on December 14, 1942, after the pilot allowed a passenger to take his seat to get a feel for the aircraft.
1: Why the passenger you know?
2: accidentally disengaged the automatic pilot <laughs> and sent the plane into an abrupt nosedive at sixteen hundred feet.
1: Whoa, no more attempts like...
2: to resurrect the aircraft were made.
1: Let's see why?
2: Soviet aircraft one hundred.
1: Soviets fucking up, man.
2: The Sukhoi T four or Secret Project one hundred was a Soviet Union high-speed reconnaissance and strategic bomber aircraft design that never materialized beyond the prototype room. During the Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union were engaged in an arms race to overwhelm each other with an incredible arsenal that ranged from aircraft, tanks, and weapon designs to lethal nuclear bombs. Through the effective use of spies and defectors, both countries copied one another's latest innovations. They were not always successful. The Sukhoi T 4 was born as the Soviet Union's response to the North American B 70 Valkyrie, a six engine totally strategic bomber thing, right? capable yeah, of reaching Mach 3 speed idiot. while flying at altitudes of over 70,000 feet. Looks
1: like those paper planes we made back in high school. Where you just in 1963,
2: the Soviet the regime issued a request for an aircraft of oh, similar man, capabilities to counter the American bomber. <laughs> the Sukhoi prevailed. This aircraft was to be capable of reaching a cruise speed of approximately 2,600 miles per hour. However, the Soviets did not have this type of technology and over 600 inventions were required to fulfill the Mach 3 capability. The Sukhoi was physically similar to the American B-70. It featured ramps and was made entirely of steel and titanium. The first prototype flew in 1971 with lackluster results. It was only able to reach Mach 1.3 at 39,000 feet before the project was canceled due to budget constraints. Only one T-4 survives to this day. It is on display at the Central Air Force Museum in Monino, Russia. Kalinin K-7 Experimental Bomber The Kalinin K-7 was one of the Soviet Union's earliest attempts at producing an aircraft of giant proportions. Like the famed super heavy tanks of the years following World War I, European nations believed that bigger was better, including warplanes. This is she the K-7 was named after its designer, Konstantin Kalinin, a Soviet Revolution and World War I veteran. Kalinin designed the K-7 in both civilian and military configurations. As a civilian aircraft, the K-7 could carry 120 passengers. For troop transportation, it could take 112 fully equipped paratroopers. In its bomber configuration, the K-7 was equipped with eight 7.62-millimeter machine guns, eight 20-millimeter cannons, and a bomb load of up to 21,200 pounds. The K-7 also included two twin booms and unusual underwing pods that housed the landing gear and some of the machine guns. The first Kalinan flew in 1933. Instability and vibration issues alarmed engineers, which led them to make some modifications to the airframe. Nonetheless, during a test flight in November of 1933, the K-7 crashed due to a tail boom malfunction resulting in 14 casualties. There were rumors of possible sabotage, but they were never proven. Two more prototypes were eventually ordered, but the project was canceled in 1935 before they saw the light of day. Mystery Plane in Kansas In April of 2014, amateur photographer Jeff Templin Captured a photo of a strange, unidentified aircraft over Wichita, Kansas. Oh,
1: you'll Timpun, like this, Greg.
2: who lives on a large patch of land, said he had recently bought a telephoto lens and was looking this to saw to after photographs when he suddenly noticed the triangular aircraft. He described, quote, I noticed this contrail and watched it. I noticed it was making some rather radical maneuvers. I took pictures because I could, but wasn't expecting anything to come of it. When I processed it, I realized it wasn't a typical commercial airliner or a typical military plane. This was something different. The mysterious aircraft flew silently, making several S-turns around the city to quickly shed speed. This unidentified triangle went viral with Air Force connoisseurs as well as UFO crowds. The shape is reminiscent of the US Navy's General Dynamics McDonnell Douglas A-12 Avenger (coughs) II carrier-based bomber. (laughs) This sort of triangular aircraft had been spotted before in other areas of the US, such as Texas. Still, Templin's photo was the clearest, which led some to believe it was fake. When contacted, Officials at nearby McConnell Air Force Base refused to comment on the craft's identity or purpose. This kind of modern aircraft design is known for its low observable nature and aerodynamic efficiency. One specific mission where this sort of ability has been used is human crewed technical reconnaissance sorties. Because of this, it's widely theorized that this mysterious aircraft is a TR 3A Black Manta, an aircraft rumored to be part of the secret advanced stealth technical like reconnaissance super aircraft team. All right. But nothing has been confirmed I... as of 2020. And the triangle-shaped vehicle has been spotted more times since 2014. Stockholm Foreign Vessel In October of 2014, the Swedish military released this photographic evidence of a mysterious foreign vessel off the coast of Stockholm. That's it was one messy. of three sightings that the military stated were credible reports. In a public statement, Sweden's top military official, General Sverker Göransson, commented, quote, Swedish territory has been seriously and unacceptably violated by a foreign power. The gravity of this is obvious. (laughs) According to Rear Admiral Anders Grinstad from the Royal Swedish Navy, they believe that, quote, it could be a submarine. It could be a diver using a moped like underwater vehicle, and it could be divers that don't have any business in our territory. That's the range of foreign underwater activity we're looking into. The incident happened as tensions began to rise between Russia and the Nordic and Baltic countries because of Moscow's political involvement in Ukraine. This unexpected sighting set off Sweden's largest mobilization of naval forces since the Cold War, as over 200 troops hunted the intruder. The experts could not locate any unknown vessels. However, they released sonar footage of subsea tracks left by what appeared to be a mini-submarine. After the thorough search, which lasted over a week and included helicopters, ships, and minesweepers. Swedish authorities could not determine the vessel's nationality or origin, saying the presumed intruder had swam away into open waters. Russia vehemently denied their involvement in secret operations in Swedish waters. The incident prompted numerous conspiracy theories all over Sweden. In this relatively neutral country, memories of the Cold War still torment plenty of older citizens. News programs speculated that Russians were testing the espionage capabilities of the rumored Project 10831, a deep-diving submarine powered by nuclear energy. Some citizens came forward to authorities after spotting a mysterious man waiting near a craft on Stockholm's coast, which they believed was a spy sent from Moscow. This incident resembled another episode from 1981, when Swedish authorities discovered a Soviet submarine off the south coast of Sweden. Authorities captured the vessel and held it captive for over 10 days, as they believed weapons were on board. This move prevented the Soviets from rescuing their crew. Wow,
1: they were actually caught.
2: In 2014, intelligence analysts noticed Iran was undertaking a strange task a non functional replica of the American USS Nimitz, a nuclear powered aircraft carrier. The model vessel appeared to be about 650 feet long and 160 feet wide. Meanwhile, the real USS Nimitz is over 980 feet long and 245 feet wide. The ship, complete with fake model aircraft and the number 68 spray painted near the bow, appeared at the Gachin shipyard in the Persian Gulf. American officials described that the mock-up model was most likely empty on the inside and posed no real threat.
1: However, its true purpose was
2: unknown. The U.S. Fifth Fleet operating in the Persian Gulf dubbed the ship Target Barge. At first, American officials publicly stated that they believed the ship would have been used to test Iranian Khalij Fars missiles, or as part of a propaganda campaign. However, the Iranian media rebutted the theories and reported that the boat was part of a set being built for a movie. In July 2020, the model was repaired and refurbished with a new angled flight deck, an island, and deck markings. Because of rising tensions between the U.S. and Tehran, it was then moved to the Strait of Hormuz, a body of water between the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. This time, it's believed that the imitation aircraft carrier will be used for target practice exercises and will eventually be blown up or sunk. It's so
1: fucking weird desert, that they would even go through that
2: in 2011 a mysterious set of google Earth images prompted wild speculation all over the internet the photos show a series of mysterious massive patterns on china's western kumtag desert the photos intricate and unidentified shapes include miles long reflective strips blocks of silver squares concentric circles and a grid of tangled white lines it looks like a city layout without any buildings what? close-ups of the site revealed signs of debris And suggest the remains of a silo explosion or an area used for aerial target practice. Also found nearby was a neat targeting grid of burnt-out vehicles. Speculation about their origin or purpose were varied, ranging from weapon targets to mock-up maps of large US cities for a potential attack. Some even believed they were messages from extraterrestrials. According to Jonathan Hill, a research technician and mission planner at the Mars Space Flight Facility at Arizona State University, the intricate grids of zigzagging white lines seen in the two images are actually spy satellite calibration targets. Satellite cameras focus on the grids and use them to orient themselves in space. They measure approximately .65 miles wide by 1.15 miles long. The structures, although they appear to be silver in color, are also not made of metal. As Jonathan Hill noted to NBC News, quote, They have gaps in them where they cross little natural drainage channels, and the lines themselves are not perfectly filled in, with lots of little streaks and uneven coverage. I think it's safe to say these are some kind of paint. Since the initial reports in 2011 when these structures became popular, Google Earth aficionados have taken it upon themselves to find more of these strange structures in China. One of them appears to be a weapons testing zone. Another photo of a giant grid looks like a Yagi antenna array. These instruments and odd structures like this can be used for many different operations, such as weather tracking and high-altitude atmospheric research. Hill also noted that these structures are relatively close to each other. Quote I think we're seeing some sort of military zone or test range, which explains the large amount of equipment and technology in an otherwise remote area. Sometimes the truth can be just as interesting, if not more so, than the conspiracies that people come up with.
1: Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. One.
2: Glowing spiral. But On you know, December like with 9th, the citizens like awoke like in the early morning to a bizarre a and gigantic glowing spiral. Exactly. That's the light which lasted for about 10 minutes, could be seen across Norway's three northernmost counties. It was photographed by Jan Peter Jergensen. According to citizen Nick Barbary, the light, quote, consisted initially of a green beam of light, similar in color to the aurora, with a mysterious (laughs) rotating spiral at at one end. Oh, that's weird. The spiral then got bigger and bigger until it turned into a huge halo in the sky, with the green beam extending down to Earth. According to press reports, this could be seen all over northern Norway, and must therefore have been very high up in the atmosphere to be seen hundreds of kilometers apart. This strange anomaly panicked Norwegian residents, who flooded the emergency phone lines. Barbary also commented, quote, We're used to seeing lots of auroras here in Norway, but this was different. Some suggested that it could have been a unique, never-before-seen Northern Lights variant. Another theory said it was linked to high-energy experiments being tested at the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Meanwhile, UFO enthusiasts theorized that the anomaly had been the opening of an extraterrestrial wormhole. However, days later, the Russian Defense Military stated that the light show resulted from a failed Bulava missile test. According to an official spokesman, the first stages of the test had gone smoothly, but there was a technical malfunction at the third step of the missile's trajectory. The missile's third-stage nozzle, which directs the rocket's exhaust plume, probably fell off or was punctured, which caused the missile's exhaust to come out from the side. The beloved missile was designed to carry up to 10 hypersonic, 150-kiloton nuclear warheads. It was intended to be Russian's next-generation submarine-launched ICBM. Still, the program had been trouble-plagued, failing in 6 of 13 previous tests. The missile program was completed in 2013. Russian defense analyst Pavel Felgenhauer stated that, quote, Such lights and clouds appear from time to time when a missile fails in the upper layers of the atmosphere and have been reported before. At least this failed test made some nice fireworks for the Norwegians.
0: All right, that is it.
1: So what do you think?
0: Ah, uh, well, it definitely qualifies for uh creepy because a lot of that stuff I heard on there freaked me the hell out. Especially like- with all the spy stuff, robot dogs, and it and and you hit it you hit the nail on the head, man. Like if they had that kind of technology back in like the the 50s and 60s. What do they have now?
1: I'm too scared to think, dude. They had invisible tanks one time. That was like 10 years ago. Like 15 years ago, I remember Googling like invisible tanks and thinking that was cool. And dude, the stuff they got now is just unfathomable. Like you just can't even begin to process. Dude,
0: Russia is working on something that's like basically a transformer, it's a tank that can transform. Into a submarine and back into a tank, like it can do land or sea. So just like transform. Like,
1: why would you need that?
0: (laughs) I I guess if they, I guess they need to escape to water. They escape to water, or I don't know, maybe to, maybe go all the way across the the ocean as a submarine. And did you have a favorite character
1: through all this?
0: A favorite character.
1: Yeah, through all these little stories, Dark Five was talking about. Was there anyone who stood out to you that was like? Or any type of segment that was just that just really owned it. I thought it was weird how like Nixon was in everything. Yeah, like.
0: yeah, that was that was a little strange. That means Nixon. Uh, Nixon was a very powerful man, obviously. So, I mean, I
1: uh, you know Nixon. On this list,
0: but uh, you asked what stood out to me. Of course, the Area Fifty One stuff and the Bohemian Grove. Mostly those two because those are the two most well known and the weirdest. Man, like I mean, Nixon came out and said. Like he was recorded saying that he, he he didn't like Bohemian Grove. He thought it was uh.
1: Yeah, I like this had a good time in that picture.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did something there. He was embarrassed about. And probably we
1: all have those moments, so he's not alone.
0: But yeah, man, uh, some good choices. I enjoyed it. He uh, did good picking out the uh, the dark fives this week. We'll have to do some more it. in the future. I, I think our next creepy classics will we'll go back to we'll do something paranormal. Because we've been doing Urban Legends and uh, Stalkers. I think we it's time we bring in some paranormal yeah, stuff. Yeah, ghosts
1: need to come back. We need to bring those guys back.
0: Yeah, so uh, we'll definitely okay. try to find some ghost stories. Someone brought
1: and- a good point. Like, Dark Five's voice, that's been, like, a controversy uh, for his whole career. Like, he started out doing just uh, words on the screen you can follow. And then he added his voice, and people hated it. It was, like, a big, like, kind of distraction. But... I don't know. Who has the best voice, man? I told you my favorite
0: voice is the guy from the Let's Read podcast. All, yeah. his, all his stuff, on, he has my favorite voice. Because it's – I think I, don't I might know, agree I, with you. I like I like how he tries to like change his voice for certain certain things, and it's just – I don't know, man. It's just pleasant. I could fall asleep to his voice.
1: It's like sure. Dark Five is the consp- like he. It's like he's involved in it. You know, see so when I hear him talk, I feel like nah. Maybe you are in Like you got a job somewhere at Area Fifty One, and you just do this as part time gig. So speaking
0: of speaking of the Area Fifty One stuff, they touched on the whole. You saw the guy holding the manual for Area Fifty One and uh, S Four. Did you did you watch that Bob Lazar documentary on Netflix?
1: The Bob Lazar thing, where yeah, I've seen, I know of it. You yeah, know, I've seen it. Um, he's basically oh. was harassed. For- so, uh,
0: Corey, I thought I thought we were going to do this tomorrow night, but uh, apparently, Corey wants you to go ahead and open the package on this show. So, let's uh, let's, yeah, let's open it up. That. Yeah, let's open it up and see what you got here. This uh, this should be interesting. I actually, I think Corey told me what this was, but I I forgot, so I really don't know I what you got it. there neither. Oh man, that's awesome!
1: This is what you got. No, this is for my niece. I got her something for her birthday. She's fooling around. This and speaking of government and classified, why is everything blocked out on this? I'm kind of scared to open it. Well, because we don't want the
0: addresses being shown, obviously.
1: Yeah, but I hope I don't blow up opening this package. But uh, it's let's a dark see.
0: web mystery package.
1: Oh, and you gave it to me. So my house will be haunted. All right, so I'm opening it. Now it's open. And oh, look at this. We're going to see it together. Night of the Living Dead. I'm seeing this. And it's the original black and white. Yes, it is. Look at that. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Corey, thank you for this.
0: Well, we said we were gonna bring the ghosts back, but uh, it looks like we brought the zombies back for you. Fiftieth
1: anniversary edition. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. I need to watch this probably tonight, dude. I'm so. Thank you. But you don't <laughs> have. But you don't have a Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Player. I have a PS. I have an Xbox One. So we're. That good. doesn't count. One of the twenty scariest <laughs> movies of all time. Wow, this is. Oh my God! This is, I have the colored version, the remake, but that does not compare to this. I can not say at that all. with with confidence. So, Corey, thank you. We we hope to see you tomorrow night.
0: Oh yeah, tomorrow night is going to be a fun show. And uh, actually, I'll go ahead and uh, plug that here. So tomorrow we have another episode of the Slacker Cast coming up. This week is going to be the top ten hot chicks and. We're gonna have a full house for that one, so uh, there's gonna be a lot of people on that show. It's probably gonna be a long
1: one, so uh, we'll try to start a little bit on time, <laughs> not early. We don't do early, but on time. Uh, so like nine thirty ish. But yeah, we're gonna
0: maybe maybe around nine. Honestly, we'll probably start as soon as my wife and kid are fully asleep. So that's the plan. Hopefully, my kid goes to sleep early, but. Uh, yeah, as soon as, they, uh, as soon as they hit the sack, it's when we'll, uh, we'll go live. But I'm looking forward to it, man. How how you feel about your list?
1: Oh, my list is going to be good, man. It's stuff that – what's good about lists like this is, uh, like, I don't have to sit and try to study for it. I already know because this is stuff that I think about all the time. I just got to put it on paper, take it out of my brain, and get it out to you guys. It's, like, stuff I already know just off the, you know, like the back of my hand. You know so I can't wait to do it. Top 10 hot chicks, man. You know, what I'm saying like, and we don't have to be, you know, I'm saying we did dudes the last time, which was kind of dubious, but now you know it's gonna be fun. What do you think?
0: I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to showing off my picks, seeing if uh, seeing if Corey's gonna win again, even though even though you said that he won last week, I don't agree. I think Jay won last week with the list, so okay. I mean, he, he had Blade us as
1: number one, man. That's. I'm still. Eat. I think I'm. I've, I've been losing all the lists up until. No, I, I think I lost all three weeks, and they've been roasting me in chats, man. So I've been. Hopefully, I don't disappoint this week. Can you
0: disappoint? I mean, it's kind of your choice. We just roast you
1: about it sounds pervy it does there's no way around it but yes yeah,
0: yes Jonathan <laughs> this is uh, hot chicks of all time so any era any chick I did not uh oh yeah the dude the dude list uh dude the list stud is a good one.
1: List. Yeah, stud list
0: yeah I'm I am at, I can't believe no one had Elvis on their list didn't have Elvis on their list it's kind of it's kind of mess an
1: honorable it's too no, see, so we're gonna <laughs> ruffle feathers already. I'm not gonna get yelled at in this chat like I did <laughs> the last three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're already go- You're already heading down that road, buddy. Yeah, I had
1: to stop myself because I'm already about to start getting screamed at. So, well, we uh, right, and-
0: gonna, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up. So, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, plug all our stuff here. Um, we do have a Patreon. If you want to check that out and throw us some support, it is a uh, Patreon.com forward slash the Slacker Cast. We also have an affiliate now. Uh, it's Sovereign.com. That's uh, Sovereign as it's spelled, but only with an X instead of a G. The link to that's in the bio as well. They have some pretty cool street gear merch and gaming merch. I actually got a T-shirt from them that I'm waiting to come in the mail. Uh, use Slack off as a promo code. You'll get 25% off and free shipping. We also have our own merch store on Redbubble. Check that out. Uh, I have the link to that in the bio. The- yeah, I want to
1: show that off. Well, this wasn't from there, but I did. I, uh, yes, get oh, coffee yes. Mug. you That's never nice. seen it in person, so yes. I like that. So, we have coffee yeah. mugs, t shirts. I want to thank Corey for this. This is available through on his store. Yeah, so
0: yeah, he's the one who gave me the idea to start our own store, so we got that as well. Yeah, tomorrow, another episode of the Slacker cast, and uh check out uh, Corey's podcast as well, S'mores Indoors. It's another good one. But uh, we're going to wrap this up. So until next time, Slack off.